are listening to Law and Gospel on this February the 24th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we have a couple of options here today in taking a look at passages that could be preached on during this week, because this is the beginning of Lent. And so the first passages could be about Ash Wednesday, which will be occurring this Wednesday. And then we also have the first Sunday in Lent, which will be, of course, on Sunday. We're going to start with an Ash Wednesday kind of passage that should or could be preached on this 26th of February. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 to 610. It begins, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. This is a very, very important passage to help us to understand the true nature of the church. The church is God's message through it to people, and God is making his appeal, what? Through human beings. Very, very important. And and the term ambassador there is often used to refer to someone who is older, but it really is talking about like when the president has an ambassador to France or Germany, he is speaking for the president of the United States. But of course, he doesn't say what he wants to say. He says instead what the president of the United States says. Therefore, what is the appeal of God through us? It's the second part of chapter 5, verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to him. Now, I'm not sure you understand that verse as well as we ought. Only Christianity has such a verse because In every other religion in the world, the problem toward reconciliation is not so much because of us, but because of God. Now, there's no doubt people are sinners, and therefore, therefore, they are unreconciled to God. But many of them want to be reconciled to God. That's why you have so many different religions in the world. These are man's creative, rational juices at work in order to create a God and a religion with which they can abide. And why do they create all these religions? If you look carefully at them, they all have one ingredient that is absent in Christianity. And what's that ingredient? In every other religion in the world, here's the problem. God is the problem. We want to be reconciled to God, but 
we're not sure he'll be reconciled to us. In fact, we're told that Muslims have no assurance of salvation. It won't be until the day of judgment that they will find out whether Allah has saved them. There's no promise in the entire Quran about how they can be saved for sure. So, Christianity is different in this sense. God isn't the problem. He already is reconciled to us. That's the appeal that he's making that please be reconciled to me. Now, how do we get reconciled to God? That's also the work of God in granting us faith to trust his promises. And then the circle of reconciliation is complete because God was reconciled to you when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That's what the whole season of Lent is about. We learned at Christmas and the Epiphany that Jesus became a human being for the purpose of dying for the sins of other human beings. And the task of the church now is to be an ambassador for Christ. We hear God the Father at the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And so the church simply repeats the words of Jesus found throughout the entire Bible in order that we are implored to be reconciled to God. God isn't the problem, we're the problem. And right away, Paul explains why God is reconciled to us. Verse 21, the final verse in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. For our sake, he, that's God the Father, made him, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Well, it is clear from the scripture that only a human being could die for another human being. So God became incarnate and became a human being. He was not an angel in the sense of only having a spirit. He also had a body, a body that could suffer, that could be hungry, that could be tired, and that could die. In other words, Jesus was declared by God the Father to be sin. In a Bible study I was having yesterday, I asked the people there who they considered to be the greatest sinner in the world. And some said, well, Saul before he became Paul, and there were other answers. But the answer is Jesus. Jesus was the greatest sinner in the world because he not only had been declared to be sin, he took on that sin 
at the baptism of John the baptizer because John says, boy, I need to be baptized by you, not you by me. And Jesus says, no, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And it was a baptism of repentance. Jesus had no sin, but God declared him to be sin. So that we who never do a perfectly righteous good work, and when I say perfectly righteous, the reason we can is we have an old Adam that still is affixed to us. And therefore, we always have an ulterior, sinful motivation in every good work we do. It, it may be a proper motivation when we're moved by the Holy Spirit to do something, but the sinful nature in us never has a proper motivation. That's why we are at the same time not only righteous, but also sinner, 100% of each. So Jesus, who never sinned, was declared to be a sinner. We, who never do a perfectly righteous good work, are declared to be righteous. That's amazing. That's the message of Christianity. And that's the message that we need to be giving to others who are still in the darkness of unbelief because they have a fear of death, whether they admit it or not. And therefore, many religions talk about, well, don't be afraid of death because you can do enough good works in order to save yourself or offset your sinful good works. Well, that's nowhere found in the only word of God that we have, Scripture. So Lent is all about that Jesus became a human being to suffer as a human being and even die. God died in the person of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we who trust that promise we are declared righteous. So, having finished chapter 5, we move on to chapter 6. Verse 1. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, when you receive something in vain... There's a commandment that I often wonder what it me meant. You know, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What does that mean? Well, what it means is to take his name and use it for a purpose which God did not intend. In other words, to misuse his name is part of the newer translation. And how do we do that? By swearing, using witchcraft, lying, or deceiving by his name. So what Paul is saying, you have received the grace of God, uh, perhaps at your baptism as an infant. Do not use it in vain. In other words, 
do not depart from this grace of God. And well, what's the grace of God? It's kind of like the mercy of God, except the mercy of God, and we've said this a hundred times on Law and Gospel, is where God does not give you what you deserve. He's merciful to you. The grace of God is when he gives you what you don't deserve, namely the forgiveness of sins and the robe of righteousness. Verse 2 of chapter 6. For he says, In a favorable time I listen to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. And then Paul goes on, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is very important. When the fullness of time came, Jesus Christ indeed died for you. It's a very important passage because you were saved at a specific time that God knew from before the foundation of the world. And at that specific time, God gave you faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that faith is what you trust in the promises of God. And you are now with Jesus in actually... We talked about this yesterday at the transfiguration of our Lord. You may not be aware of it, the word transfiguration, the actual Greek is metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphoside. Uh, that, that's what happens with a caterpillar that ends up being a butterfly. It goes into the cocoon with no wings. It comes out as a flying insect, a butterfly. Well, what a beautiful picture of our resurrection. We will have a new body. But that metamorphosis is even occurring while we're here on earth. And that's when God has helped us. We have received, remember David, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. So that as that has occurred, now is the day of our salvation. Now is the favorable time. Paul goes on in verse three, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Now, that's really important. Unfortunately, there are many so-called pastors these days who do put obstacles in the way of salvation. Uh, you, you can't read the Bible and ever conclude that a woman shouldn't be a should be a pastor. And yet, many women have become false teachers because they pretend to be pastors. I uh, met a good friend at a grocery store not long ago, 
and she said uh, she was no longer a, a member of the church, said, I'm a pastor. And I said, no, you're not. Well, she thought I was just uh, being kidding towards her. She, no, I really am. I said, no, you're really not. <laughs> just because you call yourself a pastor. It, it's kind of like these people who put a red light on their car and stop other individuals and maybe even wear a badge and pretend to be a policeman when they're really not a policeman. So you can pretend to be anything you want, but that would put an obstacle in people's way as they read the Bible and suddenly realize, no, God doesn't allow women to be pastors any more than he allows men to have babies. Now, why did he make that decision? I don't know. We, we don't understand a lot of times why God says what he says, but our task is not to understand it or explain it, but to reveal it. So we don't want to put obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. And that word uh, ministry is really being a servant to individuals. The uh, akonoia is the original Greek there, and it's often used to refer to a deacon or a deaconess, but it's the term for ministry that we're ambassadors for Christ. And all of us are to a degree but specifically uh, pastors, deacons, deaconesses, they're also part of the holy ministry. In other words, he goes on in verse four, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in affliction, hardships, calamities. See, what, what Paul here is He's making the point that why would I want to become an ambassador for Christ? Because even the Beatitudes remind us, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. And then verse 5 continues with other negative things that happened to Paul. By beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, but instead by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand, and for the left. What Paul is saying is, you really think that I became a pastor in order to make money? No. A lot of times, pastors are looked down upon because we are saying things that really make people angry. What do you mean I'm not good enough to go to heaven? I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I know a lot of people that are worse than me. But that's our message of law. That's why this program's called Law and Gospel. The law is to accuse you of not meeting the demands of God and never being able to meet them perfectly. 
Now, that is a humbling experience. And that's why the law humbles us and we look to being something outside of us in order to save us. And that's where the gospel comes in with truthful speech and the power of God, namely that Jesus, the Son of God, divine as he is, took on human flesh in order to die as a human being and pay the punishment for our sin. So, in verse 8, Paul kind of characterizes the two sides of being a pastor or ambassador for Christ, through honor and dishonor. Yes, there's a lot of people who honor us, say, in a congregation, but there are those who dishonor us, who remain in the darkness of unbelief, through slander and praise. Yeah, a lot of times things are made up about pastors in order to give them a bad reputation. We are treated as imposters and yet are true. In other words, people say, oh, you're just an imposter. You really don't believe what you are saying. By the way, that's verse 8 of chapter 6. And when you take a look at that, that means that we're really deceivers. That's what the original Greek means, that we're seducing people. Now, unfortunately, there are people like that. There are pastors who tell you to send your handkerchief to them, and he will pray over it as long as you send him some money to go along with it, and you may be healed of your disease. That's an imposter. And there are many such false teachers in the world. We are treated as imposters, and yet we are true. In other words, we love the truth. We're speaking truthfully. We're not deceivers. Verse 9 says, we're treated as unknown and yet well-known. It's the same Greek word except has a different beginning. The unknown means that we're really not known. Uh, people are ignorant of who we truly are, and yet some recognize who we truly are as an ambassador for Christ. And then he says, and as dying. You know, we're all dying, but a lot of times the ministry can also lead to dying. We, we see that in other lands where Christians are even being put to death. And behold, we live as chastened. Uh, that means the, the whole idea that we're needing to be instructed by God, and we're not killed. A lot of us are not killed over our ambassadorship, but there can be a lot of mourning in our life over what is happening uh, to our people. So going on with the final verse 10, 
as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Now, that's Jesus. Remember, he was sorrowful over Jerusalem, how he wished, like a mother hen could bring in his checks, that he could do so for them. But that was not possible because of their unbelief. As poor, yet making many rich. Jesus owned no property. He had no place to lay his head. He was either going to the home of Mary and Martha or staying with others. And yet he also said, making many rich. You can't be richer than have the full gift of the forgiveness of sins. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. You see, Jesus possessed all things. And as Christians, you also, being part of the body of Christ, with him as the head, you possess all things and have to have no fear about the wonderful good news that God has brought into your life. So that's the passage for, or one of them for Ash Wednesday. And it's quite possible that uh, you'll hear that preached. I'm Tom Baker on Tomorrow's Law and Gospel. We're going to take a look at the hymn assigned for Ash Wednesday. It's entitled, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee. So join me and Mark Smith as we examine that hymn from a law and gospel perspective. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.